You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you today, talking about USC's blowout win over Cal, looking at the rivalry game against UCLA and the future of this USC football program. What's going to happen in the next couple of weeks? We will talk about it. We don't really know, but we'll get into it. <laughs> but as a <laughs> reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who did that. We'll be answering your questions towards the, the bottom half of the show. But first up, Shotgun, let's just get into it. Stock up who you got. You got to start with Michael Pittman Jr. Without I mean, a doubt. he's just beasting right now. I mean, he's been fantastic. He's named to the Bolitnikov semifinalist uh, list. You know, he he's been uh, outstanding for USC all season, doing multiple things from being a mentor to the young guys to you know being on special teams, on the kick block units, you know, doing different things that usually wide receivers are not doing. And he's also catching 11 balls for 180 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, I looked at the stat line afterwards. I was like, really? You got that many? Like, it did. Right? Yeah. It just seems like so natural. He had the one big catch for the touchdown right before halftime, and that really swung the momentum, I thought. But besides that, like, you don't remember a ton of big catches. He had another one down the middle, you know, because they were starting to take some of those shots. But he turns those those short screens into, like, an automatic six to eight yards. Such a physical yard after catch runner yeah and when you you're struggling to run the ball you know usc finishes the game running 27 times for i think 56 yards so you know averaging 2.1 yards you got to have another option and those wide receiver screens are kind of an extension of the run game and when he's getting six to eight yards just because he's running through people just plowing through guys then that picks you up those yards that you need on first down so he's, he's such a dynamic weapon for them and then you look up and you go oh 180 yards that's that's a little surprising that it was that many but then you also go Okay, I guess it's not really when you start kind of trying to figure it out as well. He's been fantastic. His stock is definitely rising as he goes toward his final couple games in a USC uniform and then moves on to the next level where I think he's going to be a beast there too. It's crazy that his USC career is almost over. I feel like it's just getting good. Like I think <laughs> USC should have more Michael Pittman. He also passed the 1,000-yard receiving mark for the first time in his career too, so congratulations for him. Uh, you mentioned mentorship. One of the guys he mentors, Drake London, I had on stock up a career night for him six receptions on 111 yards and a touchdown he was named Pac-12 freshman of the week Uh, he's really coming into his own we talked to him after the game and he was talking about how he's never really played as an inside receiver and that's something that was completely new to him so I think you're seeing that confidence that he's had a couple games under his belt he's really coming into his own and also the connection with Keen Slovis I talked to Slovis this week about Drake and and his progression he said I think it's a mixture of of just having games under his belt, but also getting comfortable with me and the way I throw to him and that chemistry. So a stock up for Drake London. I think you can tell that his future is bright. Definitely. And the guy you just talked about, Keaton Slovis, he's obviously on stock up as well. Another 400-yard game. He goes 29 of 35, only six incompletions, 405 yards, 406 yards, excuse me. Don't want to leave that one out. Yeah, come but four, on. Four touchdowns. You know, he's got 15 touchdowns the last four weeks. He's playing phenomenal. We showcased it on the film study. His pocket movement is allowing him extra time at, at times, but also creating some different angles. And just you're seeing that he's kind of wise beyond his years as a true freshman to be able to do some of the things that he's doing that may not show up on the stat line, but are helping create that stat line. You know, With a little bit of mobility in the pocket, just keeps him from being sacked on a play and moving the team behind the sticks at times. You know, He's just doing a, the small things really well now that you wouldn't expect from a freshman he's he's really learned from his mistakes too you know in that game there were no real dangerous throws ever now give credit to Graham Harrell as well for you know the design of the plays and stuff but you never saw like tip passes and you go you know those those ones ones that make you hold your breath you know because I kind of count those as half interceptions in my mind just in the back of my mind when I'm looking at it like okay well he had a decent game but then you start looking okay he had interception there's two other throws really dangerous and now suddenly if you have two touchdowns and one interception, like that's it's not as good of a game when you kinda of look at it that way to kinda of like the Colorado game where things yes, bounce definitely. around a lot. Yeah, and and that one, you know, his stat line looked a, a lot better than probably it, it probably should have. He got yeah. a little lucky on that yeah. one. 
Um, and and then other games, you you, you get the Oregon game, you mm-hmm. kind of take some away. So just kind of in the back of your mind, the stat line, his stat lines have looked really good the last few weeks. Coming off that Colorado game where he got a little lucky, even the Oregon game, he had the three interceptions, but not really his fault on a lot of that stuff. So uh, the one, obviously the pick six was, was definitely his fault. But the other two, a slip, a tip, you know, those can be – yeah, a little rhyme there. Yeah, you enjoyed I'm, it. I'm breaking it down over here. <laughs> yeah, slipping a tip, and and things get, could be a lot different on that stat line. And that's what Clay Helton said after the game, the Cal game. He said, out of all the numbers you guys mentioned, because a lot of the reporters were throwing out 400 yards, et cetera, et cetera. He said the biggest one for me is zero, zero interceptions. And honestly, that's been the key for USC in these games is when Keen Slovis can ca- take care of the ball, granted whether or not it's his fault. But when there's zero interceptions, it's a win for USC. Definitely, and you see that the when the momentum starts building on itself, you know it's college football. USC's tied ten to ten, and then they get the deep pass to Michael Pittman, and suddenly it's seventeen ten right before the half. You know that was a third and long, third and twelve. They had a false start right before it, and if they don't pick that up, you go, man, penalties just continue to kill them. They go into the half tied ten ten. Instead, they get the touchdown before the half. They get the touchdown after the half. And it's 24-10, and USC starts building on it. Uh, unlike last season, last season they were up 14-0, or I think it was 14-0, 14-0 on Cal uh, at halftime, and they did nothing in the second half. So this was completely different. They built on it right before the half and then through the half. I mean, they even did that against Arizona State. So progression in this season. Yeah, yeah. so you know, they, they got the blowout. That's another thing that's on my stock up is blowouts. You know, I've talked about it ad nauseum in the past about how important it is to get young guys some opportunities. That fourth quarter was basically all young guys getting in and, and making the most of their chances. You know, different extents of how many young guys were in there. But, you know, to get those guys, those game reps, those can be so big because when you have have a you know a spate of injuries at a particular position or something those can be really big yeah and and this was a game that we all thought was going to be really close and so to get a blowout win to kind of give your starters some rest is huge especially this point in the season to build off what we said about Keaton Slovis and Drake London I had progression for the the freshmen I think that sometimes it's it's easy to underestimate how hard it can be for a true freshman to be thrown into the mix and for them to get the groove of things just because you're new. And so I think we're seeing that with guys like Slovis in London, maybe even the Keenan Kristen. They're really, with more experience, with more games under their belt, they're really coming into their own and finding that confidence that it's fueling better play from them. And so I think there's something to be said for just gives guys some time. You know, I know USC wasn't necessarily afforded time based on injuries and whatnot with how they had to promote their freshmen, but I think you can see that there is talent there with development and with experience. And with that experience that you can get from blowouts. Ta-da! Bring it all together. Well done. Um, speaking of Slovis and speaking of Drake London playing, you know, he had a different position kind of this week. He wasn't the fourth receiver. He was the third receiver. Tyler Vaughns basically did not play. He played six plays, two each in the first three quarters. So Amon Ross St. Brown moves out to the outside, and Drake London becomes a third receiver. USC went with their three-wide passing. You know They did this a lot more this game, and partially it was because you get Stephen Carr back in the backfield to block a little bit more, partially so you're not going as much four wides. So this game, they went three wide instead of four wide. Now this includes if they split a tight end out or bring anyone else out. They went 40 plays. They hadn't gone at 40 plays with three wides in uh, since the running backs got injured. Wow. So it had been, it'd been four games since they had gone above that number, and their four wide numbers dropped from 44, 52, and 45 plays the last three weeks down to 17. So it was kind of a change in philosophy just because you got some guys back and you can block a little bit more inside. Well, I had pass protection as mm. stock up. I talked to Mike Jinks about it about and Graham Harrell about how much that changed what they could do on offense because there's only so much that Keenan Kirsten can do with his small frame. And, and Mike Jinks was saying it was huge because Cal really keyed in on that. That's why you saw Keenan at the beginning and they put Carr in and, and the – the reps changed significantly because Cal was matching their biggest backer on Keenan Kristen and just trying to get that pressure on, on Keenan Slovis. So just the fact that they had a bigger body, a guy like Carr who's had a lot of experience in pass protection was huge for not only protecting Keenan Slovis, but also just for the offense and what they could do. 
Yeah, definitely. And looking at those numbers, actually, Keenan Kristen played 11 snaps in the first quarter. The middle two quarters, he only played five snaps. Now, he got in for the, the you know, late when they started putting the backups and stuff in. Well, he got five snaps versus 22 for Stephen Carr in those middle two quarters. So, yes, it was definitely a thing where they made an adjustment there. They saw what Cal was trying to do, and that enabled them to take those deep shots because that's something they haven't really done a ton of recently. And part of it is because you got to get the ball out quick when you know you're going four wides a bunch yep. and, and you're trying to change your philosophy to an extent because you have so many uh you have so many so little you can do as far as pass protection and so they kept the tight ends in a little bit more they instead of having them go out in a pass route they stayed in Stephen Carr stayed in and sometimes it was fully stay in you know full protection sometimes it was a you know a little bit of a chip and then they would go out for a route so they're doing some different things to give him a little bit more time there because of all the pressure Cal was bringing now Cal got I think three sacks pretty early in the game and then I think they have won the rest of the game so it tells you they made an adjustment there and it really worked out and here's a number for you they're three wide passing they had 20 dropbacks they averaged 13.2 yards on those dropbacks. That's including incompletions. That's including sacks. That's a really big number. Yeah. When you're getting 13 yards a play when, when they were dropping back with that three wide, and that's because of just what you said, the pass protection they were getting, not only from the offensive line, but also Stephen Carr. Josh Follow did a really nice job as well in this game, and Eric Cromanhook when he was in there. Follow got the start in this one uh, and, and did, a, did a pretty good job and gets his first touchdown catch as well. So you could probably put him on there. I didn't put him on my stock up, but there's a lot of guys that could be on stock up when you get a blowout. I think you always just have to put a, a stock up for the tight ends when they get a touchdown, <laughs> let alone receptions, a touchdown. That's pretty big. Oh, and Eric Cromanhook was super excited about it because it was a two tight end set. Now they went to two, some two tight end sets this game, which is something they also have not done much of you know, in this season. You know, They had nine plays. Now some of that was at, late in the game, and Josh Follow was kind of playing a receiver position, actually. But you know, they've that's nine plays in a game. They've barely gotten above that number for the rest of the season. You know, they did have early in the season they were using it a little bit, but the last, I don't know, five, six, seven games, it's only been on kneel downs that they've been doing it for the most part. So they use it in the goal line a couple different times. They get the touchdown there, and Chrome Hook was going crazy. He had a great photo of it. The whole sideline was going crazy for fall. <laughs> you know, it's funny with the guys who, you know, the Pittmans, the Amon Ross, it's another game, another touchdown. But for the follows of the world, it's like, yes, I'm in the end zone. It was just fun seeing guys celebrate it. Yeah, definitely. You know, Michael Pittman was kind of, uh, you just kind of took his touchdown in end was not super excited about it until Drake London came over to him and then he was really excited uh, and then when Drake London scored he was really excited about that so he was much more excited about his teammates and that's always a great thing to see when guys are more excited about their teammates success than their own means one that you're getting used to success but then that you're excited for your teammates means it's not all about you it's not mm-hmm. an ego thing yeah. you know it's about the team so the, those guys all were, were playing really well in this game uh, another formation thing that I had on on stock up okay. was their four three defense. So they've done this a couple of times. They've done it recently a little bit more with Elijah Winston going in there as a sub. You know, bring out the nickel back. We're going to put an extra linebacker in. So they put Elijah Winston in. The last two weeks they've run it twenty one times, twenty one plays. They've allowed forty nine yards. So you know, less than three yards a play, a little bit over two yards a play there. You know, they've done really well with that defense. I think Elijah Winston's playing really well in those limited reps he's getting. You know, he he made a couple of different plays at the line of scrimmage, tackling guys when they're trying to run. You know, they shut down the running attack against Cal when they were in that formation. So you know, that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Elijah Winston, he's a guy that might continue to earn more and more reps. Now, a guy I had on stock up is probably what a guy you had as well, Greg Johnson. My last one was Greg Johnson. Well, well. done. Yeah, no, I had Greg Johnson. Uh, he had a really nice pass breakup. Uh, he was targeted a lot on third downs. I know you're going to come in with that stat, so I'm not <laughs> even going to try and attempt to say it. And then the interception. He showed the running back skills that he had in high school. And we talked about guys being really excited. Everyone was so excited for Greg Johnson to get his interception. And he had the classic, once he stood up from getting knocked down, he just put his arms up and was like, everyone, congratulate me. <laughs> That's not what he said, but I imagined it. But it was just everyone was very excited for him. And it's always nice to see guys like, a Greg Johnson get his moment. It's like an emperor just throws <laughs> his arms much. out You're wide. Just, like, just everyone bask in my glory. Bow down. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, he, he had a great game. Uh, like you said, they targeted him three times on third downs. Uh, and you know they failed on all three of those. So four drives actually ended with Cal trying to target Greg Johnson. 
you know, one time he made a tackle on a, you know, as a third and five, he makes a tackle and it's an immediate tackle on an out route. If he doesn't make the tackle, that's a first down. And then a couple other times they try to go after him on, on third and long situations, not happening. You know, they try to run a couple different uh, flag routes with the inside slot receiver and a slot fade at least once. Nothing going there against Greg Johnson. He had a really nice game. Now he left the game early. He got sick on the sideline. Hey. That's how I heard it on the sideline. It is, but he got sick on the sideline, so he didn't finish the game out. But it was interesting. Um, I'll leave. I'll save it for her on the sideline. It's, yeah. a, it's a multi-part heard it on the oh, sideline. So get excited for that, guys! It's coming. A little tease there. <laughs> My final stock up is forward-looking rivalry game. I'm so as a SoCal kid. This this game UCLA USC always just makes me so excited. Even I was looking up something on the ESPN app, and I saw the just the logos of USC and UCLA next to each other. I got giddy. And just this week is always just a, a humbling experience, if you will, because Lil Keeley was always so hyped for this game. And so the fact that I get to be on the field and whatnot, it's always just a fun uh, reminder that we, we have a pretty cool job. Rivalry games are always fun. You, you have the matchups uh, of you know, just – the the blue versus the red the jerseys you know I, I love the fact that that Pete Carroll helped bring that back you know just having those jerseys no one wants to see the white jerseys out there make it just the just the color pops so much it is terrific you know it's such a a contrast there that makes for some great photos and stuff you get the the anger you get the the hate going between two teams you probably get some dancing going you'll get some people angry about dancing it's always you know, fun the tailgating will be fantastic even though people are going to have to get their early boo that's all my stock down day games oh someone's gonna have to break out the the french toast casserole or something and bring it is that a thing yeah oh i used to make that for tailgates interesting yeah how come you never brought that into the office i'm ashamed because we don't have we don't have early morning shows thank goodness (laughs) no but it's it's always fun rivalry matchups uh so this one should be an interesting one usc's got a little revenge on their mind and it's too to a certain extent, it's it's like last season where USC should be the team that wins. You know, UCLA is coming off a really bad loss against uh, Utah. Now they're playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. But you know, in the beginning of the season, people were going, "Are they going to win a game? Yeah, is this going to happen?" Last year, they had two wins coming into the game, and they thoroughly dominated USC on the ground. And if that does it, that's one of those things that leaves a you know leaves a, a knife in your rib cage type of thing. USC's defense has been you know feeling that one for a while. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Isaiah Pullamal this week about it, and, and I was like, I know you weren't playing, and he was like, but it hurt. He was like, it hurt <laughs> me, and I was like, yeah, rightfully so. And that's a game that USC led and had an opportunity and couldn't salt it away. We'll see how their offense affects their defense this season I think that that could be a much bigger deal this season is the way their offense has been able to move the ball more consistently this season even though they haven't always finished the drives Arizona State game Oregon game uh, but you know they've moved the ball a lot more so that defense can get some rest you know when they're going against a rushing attack but they got to stop Joshua Kelly that's going to be a big thing for them and, and it's like I said like you said it's going to be fun it's a rivalry game it's always fun you never know what's going to happen even if it's 13-9 or you know if it's you know long streaks of win streaks it, it, there's so much that can happen in a rivalry game so we're looking forward to to seeing them on Saturday going at it for sure for sure but let's get into stock down who you got it's a pretty slim pickings in this Usually one. Usually in blowouts it is, yeah. Yeah, so there's not much to, to go around. I mean, you can, maybe you want to get on Isaiah Polamau for fumbling the ball after an interception, but he's got three in a row, so I can't really get on him there. True. You know, I think Stockdown Cal's pass catching, they that really killed that game just yeah. from being a game. You know, they had probably three, four opportunities. Now, I won't say that they were going to be automatic first downs, but opportunities to make catches – that would have been first downs and continued drives, and instead, I think that contributed a lot to USC's defensive dominance. I mean, after that first drive, USC starters only gave up 85 yards the rest of the game. I think it's also worth noting that Garbers was in in a groove too. I think Monster definitely changed the dynamic of the game. Well, you know, I still thought he made some good passes that were just yeah. dropped. You know, yeah. it was just it, Garbers at the same time. You know, he could he was in a rhythm, but he could have been in a better one. I think if guys were making catches, just. They were not helping him out. They didn't have many playmakers in that game, and especially when USC's you know Christian Rector's hit on uh, Chris Brown knocks him out for the rest of the game, yeah. and then Garbers gets hit by Drake Jackson. He's out for the rest of the game, so you lose your starting uh, quarterback and tailback. You know that can have an impact. 
Almost like we've seen that on USC sideline what? this season. Not Has the same happened? game, Has but that happened? it did happen out of those center. But yes, that was on the same play. That's yeah. a little bit different. <laughs> Crazy. Lose a, lose a quarterback and a center on the same play. Yeah, so you know, I, I think that they're the pass catching in that one, and maybe maybe you can put just Cal's playmakers did not come to play on Saturday. I don't know if it's too late for them. You know, if I don't know if their catching ability just you know wanes at a certain point at night. I'm not sure. But a timer. It, yeah, just like ding. Oh dang, we should. My hands are going to bed now. <laughs> Should have caught more balls earlier. Uh, no, it just it it killed the momentum for Cal, and therefore killed it from being a game. Especially like we talked about how when they USC scored right before half and right after half, that momentum just continued to build and build. Yeah, so I had some random stock downs just because sometimes okay. it's, it's hard in blowouts. I said uh, day games. Obviously, I hate. <laughs> I hate day games in general. I hate rivalry day games. I think there's a certain like oomph when there's like under the lights of the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) The oomph under the lights of the stadium is that extra eight to ten hours of people drinking during the day at tailgates. That's the oomph. Sure, sure. I think I I think that definitely adds to it. I just think November games under the lights they're just more magical. And then throwing a rivalry and it's just like ah college football. You you love it. Um, I also had stock down on certainty. I feel like. Some USC fans after the Oregon loss were like, hey, this we know what's coming after the season. Mike Bone's in place. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I don't know why USC fans are mob bosses now. Bada bing, bada boom, bada boom. Bone. No, oh, sure. Well done. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. And I think after the SU game and uh, the blow in against Cal, you know, Clay Helton and, and his pressers is – Putting in the phrases that Bone used, really arguing his case each time. I don't know. I feel like my gut is shifting a little bit on what's going to happen. And and as I've said, when Ryan tries to pin me on podcasts and tunnel vision, I don't know what's going to happen. It's USC. You don't know. We'll probably get into that in a little bit later because we have questions about that. But that's what I had stocked down on certainty. Uh, you, you probably could give uh, Clay Helton a stock up with the first time that Mike Bone is in in the house, you know, to watch them, they go and dominate a team like that. True. And he's there, he's there on the sideline at the end of the game, you know, he's having fun. You know, those things, while minuscule in the grand scheme of things, they play a part. You know, emotion plays a part in decisions in any decision. And it's also better than just witnessing another blow loss. Well, definitely better than that. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, but, that. But even if it's just kind of a lackluster performance, kind of like the ASU game was, you know, not finishing that one off. You know, if he was if he was there for that one, which he was not, you know, maybe that has an impact as well. But his first time getting to see a USC football game, you know, in person as an athletic director, USC goes out and dominates. So that can't be bad for Clay Helton's uh, potential there. It, it's it it may not have a big impact, but. It can't be anything but positive for Clay. It's a Helton. factor. It's definitely yeah. a factor there. Uh, on stock down, I also had Caleb Tremblay. You know, he comes in for Christian Rector after the targeting penalty, and he just was not holding the edge well enough for for the the defensive coaches. So he actually ends up getting replaced, and Juliana Falanico takes over. And they did some different things. Um, so they did use some different units off and on in that game. But you know, he had an opportunity to kind of make the most of it when when Rector's out and say, hey, you know, I need to play more type of thing. Anytime you're a backup and you get that opportunity when someone goes out with an injury or you know something like a targeting an injection you got to make the most of it instead this is kind of the second time we've seen when christian rector is not available that they've made a switch you know mid-game you know you also saw it at the byu connor murphy got the start and then hunter eccles ended up playing almost the the entire second half so it's still something and it's probably stocked down for that backup spot or just you know just they don't have confidence in any person to join the rotation yeah. you look at that defensive tackle rotation and it's a three-man group. You know, Brandon Peely's a part of that. And Brandon Peely's getting in there, mixing in. He's playing a ton. Yeah. I think he play, probably played more snaps than Marlon Tupelo to this game. I'd have to look that one up. But you, the same thing with the cornerbacks. You see those guys, all three rotating. You know, Greg Burns didn't even know this week. Uh. We, and this could kind of transition to heard on the sideline. I asked him, I was like, why did Elijah Griffin not start? But then he played the rest of the time. And he just looked at me really befuddled. And he was like... It got really awkward, to be honest, and I actually <laughs> left the scrum because I was like, I don't want to see how this plays out. It was just so weird. And and I said, yeah, he didn't start. He's like, I didn't even know that. 
He's like, I got three starters. I didn't even realize that he didn't start. He's and he he like apologized afterwards. He's like, I didn't mean to be, you know, he didn't mean to mean for it to be awkward. He was just like, I, he didn't recognize recognize that Elijah Griffin started, which is kind of weird in itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I just assume maybe Elijah Griffin was like to a meeting or something, you know, whatever it, it could be. Because he ended up playing almost the entirety of the game. Isaac Taylor Stewart's kind of he's kind of moved down on the rotation. Because the way you asked it, you said. Is there a reason why Elijah Griffin came off the bench? And he was like, off the bench? <laughs> and it was just like awkward from there. And I was just like, okay, bye. Like, yeah, he didn't actually start. Oh, okay. So that that was uh, interesting there. But, you know, that that's those are all positions where there's a rotation. You know, even Isaac Taylor Stewart's kind of been moved, bumped down to an extent. And, and Chris Steele is the guy that is, is starting on the other side with Elijah Griffin. You, They're still all three getting – uh, drives during the game they're getting drives or rotating at it whereas the defensive end spots it's drake jackson is getting almost every rep that every rep he can handle yeah. he's getting right now and then christian rector is a guy when he's in there he's getting all the reps you know the asu game both those guys rarely came off the field so uh i i think that you're still looking for development on those spots now maybe they need to go with one of those outside linebackers and use them a little bit more you know, with Abdul Malik McLean or Juliana Falanico or Hunter Eccles when he was healthy, maybe that needs to happen. You know, it, it's still part of it. They are using those guys and their Greyhound is what they call it. They're not fully incorporating those guys on a regular basis as just true backups. So, you know, somebody has to stand out and they have to trust those guys a little bit to be able to play the run too. Um, and, and that's why there, there's still a little bit of, of hesitancy there, I think. But I, I think it's just stocked down that there, there's not someone who stepped into that role yet. Which makes you curious what it'll look like going forward once Rexter graduates and, mm-hmm. and continues on. What happens to that role? What do you do there? Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And whether or not they decide to go back. You know, yeah. if, if they flip the flip it back. If the same coaching staff is here, if they mm-hmm. decide, you know, we, we had this thing with Porter Gustin and Uchenna Nwosu and it worked out really well. Let's bulk somebody up to be an outside, a true outside linebacker like one of those guys was to go along with Drake Jackson. And they're super high on Abdul Malik McLean, so maybe they have an offseason program for him. We'll see. I mean, or they could go the Dan Weber route where he wants Palie to be a, a outside linebacker. That's an, <laughs> or, I mean, a, I think more of a defensive end in that sense. So that that could be another option too, and you know, just a position switch for someone. So it, it, there's a lot of question marks still there, in especially in the future when Christian Rector is gone. My final stock down, you'll be a huge fan of. I had stock down for stock neutral. I don't know if it's just because I haven't been like creative this season, but I haven't been hyping up stock neutral. And maybe things are very definitive, black and white, up and down. But I haven't really been giving love to the neutral. But don't worry, stock neutral nation. I'm still, I'm still pumping up the hype. Oh, We're still geez. out there. Shouts oh. to, shouts to the nation. Oh, am I right? Jeez. <laughs> anyway, you're we not can- right. I am right. No, totally, always, all the time. Not every, true. Call me on that, everyone. I'm just kidding. That's false. Um, let's go to Heard It on the sideline. Mr. Gunn, where would you like to start? I mean, we already teased the Greg Johnson. So I'll give my part. You can give the part that you witnessed. Uh, okay. You, Greg Johnson, after he gets the interception and holds up the sword, you know, I went back and looked through my photos, and you can tell that he was just not feeling well because he's just drained. He's just got an interception, and it, and it almost seems like. That was the last burst of energy he had, running that ball back and going down the sideline. Because I, I believe it was the last play that he played in this game as well. Um, I, I think he was done pretty much after that. Now USC kind of, I think they went up 34 to, to 10 at that point after he, they scored that touchdown. But he, he's holding the sword up and like there's just like no emotion, no joy in his face while everybody else around him is, is posing. And you know, you got 20 guys over there, which... Uh, just, just let the guy with the sword that actually did something hold it up. If someone tipped it like John Houston, hey, he can get up on the bench. I don't need everybody else in the photo. I know. That's just me. As I'm not ranting again this week. <laughs> as a particular, uh, as I'm trying to get the photos here, but you know, he, he just you can tell that he was just not feeling well at that time. Now I didn't realize it at that moment, um, and it took putting two and two and six and four together. Addition. Yeah, to put all those together and make some numbers. But yeah, he he was he was ill, and then we see him. Was it the quarter break or just early in the yeah, fourth quarter? Yeah, because I was coming back to the other side, and I saw him on the sideline. He was just sitting, you know, with his head down. I was like, "Is he okay? What happened there?" You know, obviously because he's had a couple concussions this season. You know, I didn't didn't remember any hits for him that he had suffered. So I was like, "Just you always are. You're curious and." 
concerned about anyone mm-hmm. who's had head injuries, you know, particularly that we want to see these guys healthy at all times. He has his head down sitting on the bench and you just like what? What exactly is going on over there? And, and the, you pulled me over because because you didn't know what it was either. Yeah, so, I was like, is you know, did you see anything? Did you see him get hit or anything? And then he just starts yakking, and you know, he, he's throwing up on the sidelines. So it, it played into the when I put everything together. Yes, he was just ill, and you know, basically gave his last gasp of energy and to to go make this interception and run it down the sideline. Now you got a second part. <laughs> so this is when sec- you actually came over. So the second part of this is like. Shotgun and I are like pretty serious because Greg's had two concussions and and Shotgun pulls me over and it's like I think he suffered another concussion like he just looks sick he's puking and we're like oh this is bad like what happened and we're trying to figure it out so we're watching him and it's kind of serious and this is also in the context of like someone got carted off the field and like it's it's a serious thing and so it's we're kind of a little tense I guess if you will and CJ Pollard is like Greg and comes over like goes to like hug him daff him up or whatever sees the puke and then just backs up very fast I'm like oh bye Greg <laughs> and for some reason I think just the contrast for how serious we were to CJ's like genuine like hey oh in like 2.2 2 seconds quick retreat quick retreat it was just so funny and we laughed so hard on the sideline it was just a funny moment there and especially finding out that Greg was just ill and not yeah. you know not had not had suffered a head injury was even more important there mm-hmm. in that situation uh but to cj cj went for like the handshake or something and then was like pulled his hand back real like, quick Ugh. like he put the put the hand close to the stove too quickly and then pulled it back so so that one that was an interesting one how that one kind of played out but good to see that greg johnson was back at practice this week and, and doing well um he'll be back and ready to go this weekend against ucla you know he could come up with another big play and Hopefully we don't see him puking on the sideline. He's actually celebrating full this time. Yeah, that's always the hope. Now, you kind of alluded to Cal not really living up to the hype. They're wide receivers, but also their their secondary, their defense. That was really hyped up coming into the game. And that was kind of the feel from the players and coaches celebrating after the game. You know, in a blowout win, you can always kind of be a little cocky, you know, do your dance. And one of the USC's coaches kind of did that. He came up to me and he was like, hey, they said this was a good defense, and then kind of shrugged like, what? And I was like, yeah, I know that's what they say. And then they're like, that's why you always got to play. Never believe the hype. Always decided on the field. And I was like, yep, that's right. <laughs> but I was just like, wow, everyone's feeling good after this win. So it was just interesting hearing hearing some trash talking from the coaches for once. Yeah, and you know, Cal coming into this one had not given up 41 points in a game this season. USC puts it on them, basically. You know, and, and I think that, well, like I said earlier on Stockdown, I think their offense not catching the ball contributed to that because their defense was on the field uh, for a longer time than they needed to be because the offense didn't help them out. But also, we've seen where when defenses think that they have they can take care of USC's wide receivers instead of just playing zone, you know, it doesn't work out well for them. They went with well, and Clay Helton said this on you know on Sunday in his conference call and a couple other times this week is like he would yeah I was surprised that they went with as much man coverage as they did. And, you know you feel like we've already shown we can torch people with that. Why are they trying to do this on us? Did they watch the Utah tape at all? Did, did they not have they not listened to Tunnel Vision and how many times the, the shotgun has called out Utah for being too stubborn? To- That's the key to wins right there. Watch Tunnel Vision. <laughs> It might be, you know. We know that some coaches actually pay attention to what other media, you know, uh, look for. There's always someone on staff. Usually, if you have a if you have a smart head coach, there's somebody on staff that is like going through clippings and looking to see, you know, is there anything that comes out about an injured player or something mm-hmm. like that. You're looking for all, you're always looking for clues and stuff. So we gave you the clues, guys. And for any future USC opponent, don't try to man up on the outside with Michael Pittman. I think anyone with eyes would know that, but you know. I mean, you can play cover two, man, or something, and have an extra help over the top, but sure. you can't play cover one because as long as the quarterbacks throw it outside, there's two options. It's not like it's just Michael Pittman. You can try to bracket him, but then you do that, there's Amon the Ross St. Brown. Which the selling point of the air raid and just this wide receiving core in general. It's like, who do you really, what do you do? And you're seeing what happens when this air raid gets going and USC doesn't turn the ball over. That's been huge mm-hmm. these last few games. Obviously, like I said, Keaton Slovis has 15 touchdown passes the last four games as a true freshman. I think he's got three uh, is he at three 400-yard games so far this season. Yeah, he's thrown for over 400 yards in the last three out of the four games, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, so he's been on fire. And it's just, I think you try that out for a drive, maybe a quarter 
and go, yeah, this ain't this ain't it. This ain't it, Chief. Yeah, so it, it's 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 just bad coaching to an extent. I think it's stubbornness and and maybe maybe you're just really not good at other things. But they they tried to play some zone too, and there were some big holes in the zone. So it, it might have just been that USC's wide receiver core is so dynamic, even without Tyler Vaughn's in this game that they just put so much stress on the defense that it's, it's very hard to defend them if you're not getting a consistent pass rush. And that's what started happening uh, when USC started keeping that extra protection in. They weren't able to get the blitzers there. They weren't able to do some uh, different things to, to move Keaton Slovis, to attack him. So give credit for the adjustments USC made. You know They scored on that first drive, but then a little bit of, little bit of struggles the next couple of drives, and then they just turned it on and, and, and were dominant after that, that drive that – ended with Michael Pittman scoring right before halftime. Yeah, Cal had only given up nine passing touchdowns coming into that game. They gave up four against USC. That, to me, was just crazy. But Not too bad. Not too bad. Speaking of wide receiver Michael Pittman. Sure. I talked with a couple people about him this week, but I talked with John Baxter. And yeah, I didn't realize the connection that he has with Michael Pittman, but he's like, yeah, I've known him basically since he was born. Because Michael Pittman Sr. went to Fresno State, where John Baxter was coaching at, so... He's basically he's like basically I've known about him since he was being born, uh, so you know he talked about him and, and you know Michael Pittman Jr. has been on special teams his full full four years he stays on special teams. Baxter even said if I try to take him off a unit he's going to come to me and ask why he's being taken out like what are you doing why, why are you taking me out of anybody? Um, but he said that he's just a special 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 player to have the size and speed strength and all that but then the ball skills. And then when he goes in, he blocks. I mean, he blocks like a tight end. You know, he's really physical. He's just a unique player. And I think that kind of sums up everything about Pittman, not just the, his ability to go catch the ball and high point it, but he's just he's a physical specimen, and he's willing to do all, those, all the dirty work. You know, he'll block on the outside for his on wide receiver screens. He's blocking for run plays. You know, he came in and destroyed a couple people on crackback blocks. You know, safeties start catching, you know, start turning their head and looking side to side to make sure he's not running in uh, whenever they kind of creep up in the box. So he's a unique player, and it's great to see him his his season take off and that he's past that 1,000-yard mark and that he's going to continue to to make big plays for USC the last few games of his career too. Another hurdle on the sideline I had was just Mike Bone, his first appearance at a USC game. Who? Mike Bone. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> just watching him kind of interact with fans and players, just seeing he seems very comfortable. And I think that's such a great thing for USC. And then just if you – I have him on tweet alerts and he is everywhere all the time talking to this person, that person. He was on even on the water cooler, which if you don't know, that's like a USC show that students produce. Uh, it's a sports show. And I produced a sports show when I was a student, tried to get Lynn Swan on when he was first named athletic director. Didn't really get a response. Um, so the fact that he's willing to go on student media, which, you know, kind of gets uh, disrespected a little bit as an alum. So to me, that was a big deal. Like the fact that he is seeing what's important, doing different types of things, not just like, I checked the box here, that's good, I've made my appearances at the important things, whatever. It seems like he's really trying to get a feel for everything, and so I just continue to be impressed by him, and like I said, TBD, we always got to see, got to play it out, but so far so good for Mr. Bone. You know, it actually reminds me a little bit of Pete Carroll. You know, Pete Mm -hmm. Carroll, my first year as a grad student at USC, I had an assignment and I was doing a video on USC Psycho, you know, the fan who's been to every game, you know, home or away since I think 92. Long streak going. Not He's never going to get close to the actual streak of, of Giles Perrin who went, he died at a game, you know. Oh, wow. I, Dan actually wrote about him, yeah. Yeah, it was like 60 years or something of Crazy. going to games. Uh, so he, I was doing a story on him and came back. My story's due, I think, mo- Tuesday morning at like 8 a.m. or something like that. And I was like, I need, I need something else. I need something else for this video. And he was outside his office. And I was like, can I grab you real quick for like a two question soundbite? He's like, yeah, sure. You know, super energetic and everything. But like, just taking that time, he had been doing a, I don't know, a radio show or something. And he's like, yeah, I can stick around for an extra couple minutes for a student. And it was like, you know, I, I did not know him at all. I didn't have a relationship with him at that time. So you know, it, it's something that he was just completely. He saw a student that needed a little help, and you know, jumped in and was willing to do it. And I think that's something that Bone, the energy he's brought, is reminiscent of Pete Carroll and what Carroll did around campus. So I think that's a positive 
just from where you know it's kind of been that stodgy high castle type thing in the administration and maybe the athletic department in the previous years with you know Lynn Swan being there and even Pat Hayden before it just because it seems like it's the country club that only certain people can get into whereas Pete Carroll you know the way he was always everywhere all the time and the way Mike Bonus is is kind of seeming that way I mean he showed up in the basketball game with a hoodie on <laughs> you definitely would not have seen that from a Lynn Swan I mean Mike Bonus just he's kind of a man of the people right now yeah and part of it is like he like he has has said is that he wants to listen learn and then lead and I think he's doing a great job of that trying to take in as much information as he can learn about as many of the traditions around USC you know this is his first rivalry week so he's seeing all the the taped up uh statues and stuff on campus and those type things so also side heard it oh, watching Graham, side heard it side heard it Graham Harrell came up uh the tunnel on Tuesday and he was walking with Keaton Slovis and he kind of looks at the sword and the sword's all wrapped up and he goes what's that about <laughs> and like Keen kind of shrugs and is like telling him as they walk into the gates of Howard Jones, but he just had no idea what was happening with the, the tape. And it's like, welcome to USC, Graham Harrell. <laughs> New guy around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of Mike Bone and uh, uh, our friend Alicia saw him, yeah. you know, giving a, a football basically away uh, to some kids and, and telling them, hey, make sure you're throwing it with your dad because they were at the game together. Uh, and and that was a really great moment. It seemed like from afar. But <laughs> to add to that, USC is going to have to restock their piles of away gear, like all their un- underarm sleeves, all their you know uh, sweatbands and stuff. Because every kid was there asking for stuff. So they were just firing stuff up in well, the fans. The, the way that the Cal Tunnel works, you have to, it's like a slow step down, and you're really mm. close to the fans and that like overhang. And so all the fans were just like, please, please, please. <laughs> a lot, a lot of fi- high fives and a lot of a lot of gear being tossed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite was probably Isaiah Paul Mao. He's like, oh. You want the helmet? And he's faked that he was going to throw the <laughs> helmet up there. Did he start Ooh, laughing? Don't throw that. Don't uh, don't. Uh, we've seen what happens when you throw a helmet. <laughs> don't hit anyone with them. True. Uh, I have a two-parter. Heard it really quick. First off, pregame. I'm walking and I'm actually on the phone. I'll describe why I'm on the phone in the two part part two part one. And I get stopped by someone and they're like, "Hey, Keely," and they're all decked out in in cow gear. I'm like, "That's a little odd." Like, that's weird. But that also happened at Notre Dame. So I'm like, okay, maybe cross town or like uh, some, some research on the rival or something like that. And he goes, I'm on the P, big fan of USC. And I'm like, why are you wearing cow stuff? And he, I think he saw the confusion. He's like, oh, I'm Evan Weaver's uncle. And I was like, oh, this is such a weird like duality here. And he was like, yeah. And then like we kind of got separated partially because I was on the phone and had to keep going. And the reason why I was on the phone was because my parents were so freaked out after if you watched the Georgia game and one of the photographers on the sideline got hit and knocked out both of my parents were like be safe be safe and I've been doing this for years and years and they've never really thought about it or cared and then suddenly they were because my parents kind of know to like chill around like game time because I'm busy but my mom was calling me right before game time I'm like okay something's there's an emergency or something and she was just like I'm really nervous about you being on the sideline I'm like mom <laughs> I'm okay I'm good don't worry but yeah I'm glad that she's okay because that was scary but it did maybe give me some second thoughts but I'm in the end zone so I'm, I'm pretty safe you gotta watch out for Tyler Vaughn's against UCLA what happened there when he went flying right beside us oh yeah <laughs> yeah see that's what i'm saying i don't even think about this and then my parents were like oh my gosh and i was like yeah it's fine we're fine i'll be okay <laughs> but yeah I, I also don't want to jinx us because i feel like we've talked about it the last two weeks and that's like the True. ultimate jinx so uh let's be safe <laughs> let's move on into questions first one's from miles who says enjoy the podcast and i have a couple thoughts not pertinent to any game specifically Okay, Miles. He says, for one, it seems like every team really wants to beat USC regardless of our record. It appears that we always receive the best effort of the opponents. Even when Pete Carroll coached, it seemed like the bad teams always gave a little extra when they played the Trojans. Do you agree with this, or is it more of a function of poor coaching that most games are close regardless of who we are playing? I don't know if you look at it as whether the game's close or not, but yeah, if you're the blue blood program, teams want to beat you. You know, it's especially because... USC is in LA and a lot of those kids you look at the Colorado team there's a lot of players on that team that you know from Southern California that maybe weren't recruited by USC same thing with Cal you know there's always Southern California kids on any of the Pac-12 teams that were not recruited by USC they see it as a slight so they get up it's the Oregon game you know look at all those guys we talked about from Southern California that made big impacts and those several of them were guys that USC was like yeah yeah not not so much we're not we're not that high on you and so they come back and they want to they want to they want to prove themselves to the coaches that didn't see 
you know, that they were USC caliber. They also want to prove themselves in front of their family and friends because, of course, they're going to have a bunch of people when they come to play in the Coliseum and stuff. So I think you just get a, a better effort because of that, for one. And then you want to knock off the big team. If you're playing basketball and you're playing Kansas, you're really hyped up for that game. You're playing football and you play Kansas, not so much. True. So, you know, I think it goes to the six, the historical success of a program. The and, brand. Yeah, the brand of it. You want to beat the best, and you want to show that you're better than the best. You know, it's the, the king of the mountain type thing. And it's always interesting when we hear, and maybe it's true or not, but we always hear the players and coaches go, yeah, well, they showed us something different. Just And I forgot who said it this year, but they're like, yeah, because we're USC, they always show us something different. <laughs> so. It, so sometimes coaches will save things for certain opponents. And you might save a certain, you know, a trick play or, you know, we could use this now, but let's wait until we play a USC or something like that. That Those things do happen. He has a second part to the question who says, in an effort to look at the glass half full, I'm assuming that had Clay Helton had been fired last year, Urban Meyer would have not been available. Therefore, it is worth going through this year if it means that he is hired. If he is not hired, then obviously it was a complete waste of a season. <laughs> he says, fight on Miles and Rams country, but he clarifies Colorado State Rams. All right, we got some Colorado people listening. Thanks for thanks for the question, Miles, and thanks for the statement. There's nothing really to add to your statement, but yes, that that is true. That Urban Meyer would not have been hired last year if Clay Helton had fired been fired last year. That's true. We shall see. Let's go to an email from Mark, which is a subject I kind of wanted to bring up in the Keaton Slovis portion of Stock Up, but I saved it for this question. He said, we've now seen Keaton as a true freshman for eight and a half games. We saw JT Daniels as a true freshman for ten and a half games last year. Taking everything into account, system, center snaps, running back health, etc., who's the better player? In my opinion, it's clearly Slovis. He's in a better situation for sure, but his arm talent is just so much better than JT's, and although neither have great mobility, Keaton is better there too. JT can be a good college QB, but his quote-unquote average tools, as Daniel Jeremiah put it, give him limitations Keaton just doesn't have. Please answer honestly, no sitting on the fence, keep up the great work, and stay safe on the sidelines. (laughs) Back to staying safe on the Mm -hmm. sidelines. Hey, I'll sit on the fence if I want to. (laughs) Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer over here. I think that Slovis is clearly playing better than JT was. I think the system has a ton to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you also, when you account for the running back health as well, and the fact that he's basically been on his own back there for the last four games, getting Stephen Carr back definitely helped. Then I think that you're you're looking at it and say Slovis is definitely playing better than where JT was. Now, would JT be doing the same? That's the bigger question. I think, you know, if you're looking at last season compared to this season, there's no comparison. It's, it's easy. It's apples and oranges, though. Because yeah. if you want to say Keaton was on his own back there without running back depth, you could totally say that with JT Daniels and the offensive line he played with. True. And I, that's why it's hard to say. Now, the question becomes, would JT be having the same success that Keaton is having? I said earlier this season, up until a point, probably until the Notre Dame game, I th- you know, I thought USC probably wins the Washington game just because it's better suited for – you know, JT's skill set than it was Matt Fink's. They probably win the BYU game yeah. because you don't have a true freshman making his first, first career start. start. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, um, you know, those things have gone, though. I think it's about, it's either even or Slovis is ahead. Now, I, it's just hard to say where JT would be at right now because we only saw him for a half. This is why I always say I want like a video game simulation because, one, <laughs> I want to simulate JT Daniels in this season. Two, I want to simulate the Utah game if Zach Moss is in the game and doesn't get injured. There's a lot of things I want to simulate this year. But uh, to me, the reason why I want to talk about it is because it's at the point now for me where I always thought eh, JT Daniels will always have the edge when he comes back healthy just because that experience proved to be worthwhile. And I wasn't sure about Keaton, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, I think Keaton really has the edge over JT Daniels. One, I know because the ACL health and that's a whole thing for quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. Taking that out of the picture, though, I, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And there's a lot of variables that will dictate that as well. But I, it's really interesting to me to see how that really plays out. I think Slovis has made some really big strides in this game. You know, guys, check out our film study. We look at the mo- plug, plug, plug. Yeah, we look at the mobility of him and moving around the pocket. And that's something that I thought JT Daniels had a real leg up on the rest of the competition in the fall. Is he was doing a really good job of just moving around the pocket. It's something that goes really unnoticed, but it's it's one of the biggest assets to a quarterback. You look at Tom Brady. And no, you would never say he's a mobile quarterback. He's no Lamar Jackson or anything. He's no Patrick Mahomes. 
but his ability to move around that pocket and avoid the rusher, avoid the big hits, and that's something Keaton Slovis took some big hits earlier this season. He's still taking some a little bit, but he's doing such a better job of moving around the pocket and not taking those sacks, being able to create a little bit more time for his receivers, and I think that's created some of these big yardage uh, nights that he's having because you don't take that sack and suddenly you get 15 yards out of it those type things make a big difference overall because it keeps drives going you know even if you get five or six yards versus losing five or six yards on first down it changes the complete dynamic of a drive so I think that he's made really really big strides you know people trying to drop eight that ain't working you know, Cal tried that, and that was the Drake London touchdown. He took his time. He knew that he had protection, but what did he do? He slid out to the right and found a better angle and was able to fit a throw in. And that's the thing. He does have good arm strength there. I think JT, I don't think JT has poor arm strength, but I wouldn't say it's a, a plus plus characteristic, whereas Slovis might be moving towards that for me. You know, he's just continued to throw some darts that you're just like, whoa, you got that one in there. You wouldn't kind of expect it, it to be. So he's showing more and more. And the thing is, he's going to have a chance to progress over the next nine months, mm-hmm. and JT is going to be still injured. So that's going to be that's going to be the thing. If you take JT from the beginning of the season and Slovis at the beginning of the season, JT definitely. That's why he won the competition. Yeah. But the fact that he's going to be able to progress and continue, and the way he has progressed this last you know two months, I think that's a big thing, and I think that Slovis is pushing his way in the front right now. And I think there's also something to be said for the way that we've seen Slovis lead and the opportunity that he's had to lead this team and the connection he's made with like the Drake Londons of the world, et cetera. If you kind of have that, that foothold, it will be hard for a JT Daniels to come back in and be like, Hey guys, no, I actually was the starter. Remember me? <laughs> it's not that that's a real thing, but you know, it's sometimes it's weird dynamics like that team dynamics. So yeah. it will be interesting, but let's move on to an email from Gustavo who says, hello, Family Feud team. Love the podcast. With how dominant USC's wide receivers have been this year, how do you think this current group compares to previous units? I feel like USC usually has one to two dominant guys, but this current group seems to be three to four deep. Would love to hear your thoughts. Fight on Gustavo from Soonerland. You know, I think this is probably the deepest group that they've ever had. You know, at least in my time, for sure, in the last decade. Um, But even looking back beyond that, just because normally there were guys that had... You had one dominant guy, and then maybe you had a sidekick, but you didn't have three guys like they do. They didn't have four guys. I mean, Drake London's really emerging. So usually it's you had the older guy like Michael Pittman, you had the younger guy like Drake London that yeah. would, would be emerging, and that's where you get Robert Woods and Marquise Lee or Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar, those type things where the, the younger guy starts you know producing more and more as the season goes on, and then, hey, the older guy's gone. Yeah, yeah. And then the other guy takes over. And that's why they had that run of, you know, six, seven years where you go from Robert Woods to Juju, you know, and it's just like, wow, USC's producing receivers every year. And it seems like they have a dominant guy every single year. And I think this year is different just because you've got three guys that, you know, if you want to move a coverage to one guy, then you're going to get burnt by two other guys. It's not just like, okay, well, now it's on that the secondary guy has to step up now. Yeah. No, it's there's multiple guys, and, you know, it, it's just hard to defend. And that's that's why it's such an ideal weapon to have, and especially in this offense in particular, that you're, you know, you don't want to, you know, they don't move guys around a ton, like, hey, we're going to motion, make sure that we get Marquise Lee open. We're, yeah. we're doing things just to get him open. Now they've done some stuff, they've moved some guys. But it, not every play is just designed, okay, this is supposed to be going to this guy. And if it doesn't, now we kind of feel like we wasted this play to an, you know, to an extent to, to be able to try to get the ball to someone else um, there. So I think that it's definitely the, the best group just because of the depth of, of those four guys at the top of it. And, hey, if you get guys like Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford to add to it. Which is just crazy. Eventually, then they become the guys. And, the, and it, you know, it, maybe it builds on itself like that run from Robert Woods to Juju. You've kind of had a little bit of break where you haven't had a guy get to the 1,000-yard mark. You know, it was Deontay Burnett in 2017. I wonder how you find out that's that, Chaka. Because Keely went back and looked through them. <laughs> but what happened? You noticed that there was a big jump. You're like, wow, uh, Michael Pittman went over 1,000. Whoa, Marquise Lee had 1,700. Crazy. And, and why was it? Because he was the guy that was getting the ball over and over and over in a game. And that's not necessarily the case right now. It's The ball's being spread around. Michael Pittman's playing like a beast. But 
he's also getting 100 yards while Drake London's getting 100 yards. He's getting 100 yards last week while you know uh, Amon Ross St. Brown goes for 170 or 180. So I think that's the biggest difference. There's multiple guys that can do it to you, and this group's playing really well right now. No, I completely agree. I think it's also time for you to debut your beast voice that's similar to your LaVisca Chanel voice when talking beast. about Beast. Yeah, that's your Michael Pittman voice. He does it every time we talk about his stats. He's a beast. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. He's beasting out there. I love guys that play special teams too. Just and like the block punts and return, you know, the the trick punts against, against UCLA. UCLA. You know, I, I you know, it's it's fun to see those well rounded guys because you know those guys are gonna have an opportunity at the next level. You know, even if he somehow he gets the drop season, can't catch anything. He'll still be in the league for several years because of his ability to play special teams as well. I don't think that's going to happen as far as him getting the drop season, but... It's a huge asset for sure when you can be multifaceted yep. and talented. Let's go to our final question, and it's from one blue love 23 who's very active in the Tunnel Vision chat on YouTube, so a familiar name. Um, but the reason why I kept this in, because I know you usually roll your eyes at these questions, I'm combining it with my shotgun, what does this mean now? segment of the, of the okay. podcast uh, he says i love tunnel vision and the family feud podcast i wonder if mike bone will fire clay helton until after the utah colorado game i'm sure y'all will address that in the very near future yeah so obviously i don't like hypothetical situations but looking at it just as a whole you should not make a decision based on whether someone else loses a game that should never be a decision maker well if someone loses this game then we're keeping a coach sure but would it look weird if you have an interim coach in the Pac-12 championship? It doesn't matter. You should be able to make your mind up based on what you've seen and what your team has done rather than what they've done. Yeah, and I think also in general, that's the predicament about Clay Helton because, and I mentioned this on Tunnel Vision, I think if you look at a very like broad overview of Clay Helton's tenure, you're like, oh, this is it's pretty good. Rose Bowl, Pac-12 championship, Con Bowl, you know the things that we hear them repeat a lot and, you, and, and Helton fans repeat a lot, but... If you look at the, if you look more detailed, there's so many things that could have happened. There's so there was so much left on the table. There was so much more talent that could have been developed. Stuff like that. Where I wonder if Bone quote unquote gets it, where he knows what this program can be and could be and should be, rather than what's the safe thing. I, I think that you know there's a lot of factors that will play into whether that decision is made, how that decision is made, when it's made. Um, but one of them should not be what Utah does the next two weeks. You shouldn't rely, your decision making as an athletic director shouldn't rely on what another team, whether they win one game or not. You know, they always say. You're simplifying it, it too much. No, I'm it's, not. Just, it's just the general s- sense of because USC could be in the Pac 12 championship. Yeah, sure. And if they didn't lose their other games, then they could be in the yes, final four. I get the point. But yes, yes, I get what you're saying. But if you're you just making say, it. If you want to say every team, if every team in the country had four losses, then USC might be in the final four. What? What do you. No. Yeah, they could eventually make it to the Rose Bowl this year. And would you, you know, would it, how would it look if you fired someone that may, in a Rose Bowl season? It might not look great. It might not, you know, from the bird's eye view, it might not. But then you look at the nuanced stuff. You take the actual eye test, not the bird's eye test, the eye test. And you say, like you said, there's been a lot of stuff that's been left on the table. Now, what is the what is the goal of the administration? Question we've asked several times. What is the money situation? I'm sure that, you know, Mike Bone comes in. He doesn't just say, all right, I got a blank checks, right? It's USC. No, there's still money considerations to be there, and that will all go into determining whether. But again, in and how USC looks this week in their rivalry game, they've lost the last two years. They've lost to UCLA and Notre Dame last year. They've lost to Notre Dame this year. Two straight years losing your rival rivals does not do well with the fan base, and that's you know if you're at Michigan and you lose to Ohio State over and over, Jim Harbaugh. What is everybody talking about? Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat because he hasn't beat Ohio State. Even though he's had ten wins, you know a few of the seasons. So if they if if Michigan were to make it to a big bowl this game, do you go? Well, he's safe, right? No, he can't be Ohio State. We have aspirations of being a national championship program. He's not getting us over that hump. Then you can make a move, and that's the things that are being you know hurled at at the Clay Helton camp. Is that is he a guy to get them to a national championship? That's what Mike Bone has to decide. If that's what the athletic department and administration has as an ultimate goal which is the big question 
And if you are a USC fan, it's kind of scary. To yeah, hear. and it's been a question for half a decade, if mm-hmm. not longer. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, the interesting thing is Clay Helton got hired after beating UCLA all those years ago. Those years ago, meaning four. <laughs> all those years ago. We'll see if he can get a win this weekend. That'll that'll be a start for him. They lose to your rivalry uh, again. If you lose a four straight rivalry game, it's not good for for your tenure or your future. All I got to say, buckle up, folks. We'll see what happens. That's all, that's all I can really say. It's I USC. Mean, you know there'll be a lot of turns and twists during the offseason, regardless if mm-hmm. they keep or don't keep Clay Helton. If you just just remember last year, all I the know. twists and turns. Brew McCoy, Chris Steele, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff that Kingsbury, whole thing, yeah. That whole thing. A lot of things. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> buckle up, folks. Just because the season is winding down doesn't mean the drama is. So... We shall see. Yeah, on the USCB, it's not just put your seatbelt on. It's make sure you have a racing harness and you know you have the Hans device on your helmet so that your head's not bopping around anywhere. You want to be strapped in <laughs> nice and tight because you never know what's going to happen. You here. never know. All righty, that's going to wrap it up. Shotgun, 30 seconds. What's your prediction for this game? Uh, USC wins, and they win by a decent margin. I just think that their wide receivers are too much to handle for UCLA secondary in the way that Slovis – and the, the the wide receivers are connecting right now. As long as they take care of the ball, they'll win this game. I would have That's to That's been a big question mark at times this season, but they've done a much better job recently, and the defense has even created some turnovers. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your questions. We always appreciate it. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Peace. At some point, because it's Thanksgiving, so we might give you a pod at some point in the, the, the week. We'll see. If you're listening this far, you're a true family feud fan. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.